All right, everybody ready this morning? We're going to finish up chapter 4. And our third in this little mini-series here in Ephesians chapter 4, Don't Be Dead. Now the conclusion to that. You see, Paul, in the way he consistently taught us as he spoke to us through his various letters, always gave very deep and very direct application of the principles. He he didn't just simply give a principle and then leave it. And so as we now turn to that application, that awesome application of these principles we've seen in the last several verses, as we looked at Romans chapter 1, and there this incredible long diagnostic list of our lives and how they should not be. And you'll very often find in Scripture, especially in Paul's letter, that the lists that are given are very specifically the negative side because they're easier for us to understand. In other words, a believer shouldn't be bitter, a believer shouldn't be angry, a believer shouldn't be hateful, a believer shouldn't be spiteful, a believer should be, and then we are given these positive admonitions on how our lives should look. They're diagnostic tools. And so Paul is now going to finish out uh, this incredible passage for us by giving us very, very specific examples of things in our lives that we can look at and say, you know, when I see that creeping in, that's the old man, that's the flesh. When I see these things rising up in my life, then maybe I need to take stock and ask myself some simple questions. And I want to be very careful because we are saved by grace and through faith. Amen? We're not saved because we keep a very long list of criteria. We're not saved because we're this way or that way. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Amen? Very important we get that because the legalist takes these lists and the legalist says, well, you know, you're doing this, so you must not be a child of God. That's not what these passages teach us. These long lists are to help us self-diagnose. They're to help us look at our lives and say, look, my life, which is now hidden in Christ, should look like Jesus. And so if I'm having issues in some areas that don't look like Jesus, it's for my correction. It's for my instruction. It's not for my condemnation. Amen? That's God speaking to us by the Holy Spirit to say, look, let's do a little adjustment here. Let's do a little tune-up here. And back to our diagnostic example. If your car starts sputtering when you're driving down the street and it's like, you know, you can barely move two miles an hour, you know it's time for a tune-up. Amen? At least. You hope it's nothing worse. But it's time for a tune-up. There's something wrong. i got a fouled spark plug. Maybe a spark plug wires off. Maybe there's something wrong with that accursed computer that now exists in every single vehicle. You ever notice how when you take your car in, it's always the computer? That's because you have no way of knowing whether it's the computer or not the computer. You have a way of knowing. And these passages speak to us. And so... As we finish now this 
little mini-series, and don't be dead. Let's ask God to speak to us through the power of these examples that are coming up. Lord Jesus, we just ask that you would now cause your word to just simply change us, transform us, renew our minds, do what your word should do to us. Lord, we pray that we would walk in your ways, that we'd not fulfill those desires of our flesh. Lord, they're still there, and we need help controlling them. And so, Lord, cause that old man in each of us to be brought under the submission of your Holy Spirit. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In case you didn't get it, I want to give you a couple more passages to throw in your diagnostic toolkit. Okay, so just in case you missed them, 1 Corinthians there, chapter 6, uh, verses 9 through 11, and it says this simply, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And again, it's not to be legalistic about it. It's saying, look, these are the things that when you see them in your life, and it goes on to say, don't be deceived for fornicators and idolaters and adulterers and homosexuals and sodomites. And it goes on and gives a very long list in that passage of Scripture. Put that with your Romans chapter 1 diagnostic tools. Another passage for you, Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. It begins, and now the works of the flesh, and I love this, are evident. Your car is not running right when you see. The works of the flesh are evident. Your vehicle needs some maintenance when you see these things pop up. Galatians chapter 5 begins which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness. And I want you to notice there's a few things in here that, hmm, you know, I do pretty good with the biggies. Haven't robbed any banks today. Probably most of you didn't shoot up heroin on the way to church. But how about dissensions? Outbursts of wrath. You ever notice how when you get ready to go to church, all of a sudden... Someone in your family becomes unhinged. And you're, dry, you're going to church and all of a sudden there's like this, this unmistakable enemy comes in and just begins to pound on someone about something and there's dissension in the car. You see, we're prone to those things. How about selfish ambitions? Jealousies. You see, sometimes we like to take our little list, our diagnostic tools, and go, well, I don't need an engine replacement, so I'm okay. You know, back when you could work on your own car, you know, in, in most people in my generation, we almost all had cars whose mufflers were suspended with baling wire wrapped with aluminum foil and duct tape. Amen? You know, you could, you could work on them, and they, they didn't look pretty, but they ran okay. They didn't run perfectly, but there were some issues. And so Paul now is going to remind us what it looks like to be running well. And remember, Christians are not perfect, we're being perfected, amen? We're not sinless, but we should sin less, Amen? You see, the Bible is an equal opportunity condemner of sin. So no matter what's going on in your life, when it doesn't match up with Scripture, deal with it. Do the tune-up. Replace the part. Sinful behavior doesn't belong in the life of a believer who's walking in the light of Christ. It's not supposed to be there. 
doesn't mean you're saved by keeping those rules. It means that if you are one of God's kids, your life should actually look like it. And so he goes on now to say, verse 25, notice how it begins, Therefore, therefore, first example, five of them, lying. Therefore, put away lying. And you're going to see that he gives a condition, and then he gives a reason why. Therefore, put away lying. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one another. Notice the reason why. What happens to your neighbor, what happens to your friend, what happens to your son, your daughter, your wife, your husband, what happens to someone else in the body of Christ is a problem for you. It's an issue for you. We are of that one family, the body of Christ. Amen? So if someone's hurting, you're hurting with them. If someone's not doing well, you by default are not doing well because they're not doing well. We are members one with another. And he says, now do not lie. And I, and I want to make this really clear. That's a statement not that is simply contrary to the facts as we know them. It's you're telling that for a selfish motivation. You're trying to get something from that person that is, is now gotten by this lack of truth. If I tell you it's noon and then I look at my watch and it actually isn't noon, I didn't tell you a lie. I simply didn't look at my watch. But if I tell you it's noon because I want you to be late so that you can go to that job opportunity after I do so I can get that job, that's pretty clearly a lie, amen? I'm using it for selfish gain and selfish motivation. Can I remind you that John 8, 44, reminds us that Satan not only is a liar, but he is the father of them. He is the originator of lying. He is the one who tells lies because out of the abundance of his heart issues forth lies. It's who he is. It's what he does. And in fact, the last condemnation of sin in all of Scripture there in Revelation chapter 22 is that of lying, is it not? It's a big issue. And yet how many Christians kind of tell holy lies? You know what I'm saying, don't you? There are people that make it their aim and their goal to kind of not tell the truth and they think that because they love the Lord that the Lord overlooks that lack of truth in their life. Family of God, we are to be people of truth. Our lives should be guided, our lives should be directed, our lives should be speaking forth of truth. We've already seen it in love, amen? And so... We can't be telling an untruth. It's not becoming. Why? Because we belong to one another. What hurts you hurts me. We build the body by speaking the truth in love. Amen? We don't build the body by using words to our advantage over someone else. I'm not talking about you telling your son or your daughter that there's no birthday present in the closet. Okay, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the intentional use of your words for selfish gain and motivation. We, we need to be careful. Because some Christians almost find, well, it's just a little white lie. I mean well when I lie to you. Lying is lying. 
And the church should be looking at itself going, look, when I don't tell someone else the truth, they are operating on a false assumption at the very best. And then they begin to live out their life based on the false assumption because of the words that I spoke, and now the situation is tainted. We need to be people of truth. If we'll walk in the truth, we walk in the light. And as we walk in the light, we are like Jesus. But if we walk in lies, if we do not tell the truth, and that includes to your boss who wants to know why you were late for work. You didn't have a car problem, you slept in. Speak the truth. That includes when you... You know, you go to the supermarket and and you're supposed to be grocery shopping and you come back with a new set of clothes. Well, it was on sale. (laughs) No, your flesh got the better of you and you bought something you shouldn't have got. We need to speak the truth all the time. Because Jesus is truth. Amen? A second thing, notice anger is the next one of these five examples. And and again, please preface it with, not all anger is sin. There is righteous anger. In fact, God has it. But can I say to you, a lot of what the body of Christ puts out as righteous indignation isn't righteous indignation at all. It's just simply indignation spoken in Christianese. You just throw a little Jesus in there, and all of a sudden it's okay to be an idiot. To speak things you shouldn't say. To get angry with somebody because you don't like what they're doing. Verse 26 says, be angry and do not sin. Notice the caveat there. Very important. Be angry and do not sin. In other words, be angry and make sure your anger is righteous anger. If you have anger at all. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. And then it gives us the why, verse 27, nor give place to the devil. You see, when you walk around as an angry person, you give people the wrong impression of Jesus. I can't even tell you in my own personal life, when I was a young Christian, I had the absolute impression that God was mad at me 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Do you want to know why? Because I met angry Christians. I talked with angry Christians. Christians told me that everything I ever did, every thought I ever had, was wrong. I met angry people. Now, of course, I seized on that. The enemy seized on that. And I walked around believing for a very long time that what's the sense in even trying because God is righteous, I'll never get there, and he's always mad at me. He's not angry at us. He loves us deeply. The proof of that was Jesus Christ, his only son on Calvary's cross. You see, anger is that emotional arousal that's caused by something that displeases us. So we're supposed to be angry the right way. Can I tell you it's very difficult for us as human beings to have righteous anger? And here's why. We, we just simply don't see things the way God sees things. We don't understand them the way God understands them. 
We don't have complete, total, infinite knowledge as he does. And so very often, we're just simply mad. We need to be very careful. We're not supposed to be angry. So when you're wandering around and that fire of anger is in you, and, and you find yourself constantly stirred up, and you're, you're always looking for the negative things in other people's lives, ask yourself a simple question. Does, does my demeanor fit the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Does what people see in me, does that make someone else draw near to the Lord? Do they see Christ because they've talked to me? Or are they just thinking, man, God must really be angry all the time because every Christian I've ever met is angry and they're filled with bitterness. You see, it's a huge diagnostic tool. We're to be angry at sin. We're not to give place to the devil. Notice that's the, the why. You see, when you walk around that way, when, when you're angry at your kids all the time, when you're angry at your spouse all the time, when you're angry at work all the time, when you're angry on the highway, when you're angry in the store, when you're angry, you're giving place to the devil. Because he loves anger. Matter of fact, anger is the stepchild, if you will, of murder, isn't it? It's right on that door. You see, you can take that anger and all of a sudden, have you ever noticed how sometimes really bad things happen and we say, well, I didn't intend to do that? Well, it's because that seed of anger was working in your life and all of a sudden that anger expanded and it turned into something you never thought you'd do. People die every day because of anger. People are murdered every day because of something that ostensibly is just anger that's run its course. The body of Christ isn't supposed to be angry. We're supposed to have joy. Amen? That doesn't mean you walk around all giddy every day. It doesn't mean you don't have problems. But we also shouldn't be wandering around constantly angry. Philosopher Horace said anger is a momentary insanity. He said anyone can become angry. But to be angry, Aristotle went on to say, with the right person to the right degree at the right time and the right purpose in the right way, that is not easy. And in fact, Solomon reminds us that the easiest way to get away from that is to let that soft answer turn away that wrath. You see, these things build on one another. The person that can't tell the truth and the person who is angry ends up in that place to where they have malice in their heart. They, they have outbursts of wrath because you're storing up the very stuff that you're not supposed to have. And all of a sudden, you, you're wondering why you're personality is such as it is it's because you've invested a lot of time and effort and energy into being angry into not speaking the truth I tell you one of the things as a camp director is it, when you're dealing with hundreds and thousands and tens of thousands of kids uh, on an annual basis you hear a lot of lies <laughs> I didn't do that well, there's 175 people over here that saw you do it. 
Well, I wasn't angry. Well, that guy's got a bloody nose. Well, I meant to, to I was trying, no, I, well, yeah, I hit him. Those things are fairly easy to spot. They're not that tough. A third example of these five, stealing. Verse 28 says, Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather, rather let him labor, working with his hands at what is good, that he might have something to give to those who are in need. You, you, you see, that's one of the Ten Commandments, amen? And actually, if you look at these things, they're all associated, if you will, with the Ten Commandments, aren't they? You, you see, what the Lord was doing as Paul wrote these things by the power of the Holy Spirit, he's reminding us, look, this is how you're supposed to look as a child of God. This is what you should be doing. Just as Satan is a liar and a murderer, he's also a thief. He comes to steal and destroy, amen? Amen. So when we're taking something that's not ours, and let me address this, and, and it's, it's a burden that's heavy on my heart, because we have grown up in a society that almost honors really crafty thievery. We, we have a society right now that rewards people for being dishonest, supposedly. We have a society that says, as long as you steal correctly, it's okay to steal. You know, that corporation you work for, they make lots of profit. So, come in late. You know that stuff that's on your desk? You know, you actually earned that. Just take it home. You know what I'm saying. And you know where I'm going. We need to be careful, family of God, and run some diagnostics on ourselves every once in a while because this command, notice what it says, if you do things correctly, you'll have something to give to those who are in need. Have you ever wondered why we have some of the problems that we do in our world? Especially in this area of need? If everyone were working with their hands what is right and doing what they're supposed to do, And again, we need to give opportunity for all. There are some very great inequities in our society. And I I want to acknowledge those things very clearly and openly. But there's an awful lot of the body of Christ that could do a whole bunch better with what we already have. For the sole purpose of being able to give to those who have need. It's one of the reasons that we tithe. It's one of the reasons that we honor the Lord with our finances so that we can then turn around and bless people who have need. But if we simply are takers, and I'm going to say something that's probably going to wound a few folks right now. Frivolous lawsuits go in that category. When you're looking for a banana peel in the Isle of Vons, that is stealing. When you can pay your bills and you file bankruptcy, and you walk away from that debt, that is stealing. Just because it's legal doesn't mean it's right with God. Amen? You see, if we took it seriously, and I speak with some experience here. I was in business with my parents, my mom and my stepdad. 
And my mom got involved in racehorses and gambling. I didn't know it at the time, but she'd had a gambling problem her whole life. And she bankrupt our corporation through her gambling. My wife and I took the entire debt of the corporation on ourselves because I was the president and we paid every last penny. Could have walked away. But it wasn't right in the eyes of the Lord. I was the president. I should have done something with my mom years earlier. You see, sometimes we limit stealing down to taking stuff from, you know, some clothing store or out of somebody's car. I'll give you a little simpler definition. If your name ain't on it, it ain't yours. <laughs> Amen? Stealing. Don't join Satan in his, that John 10.10 10 thing. He comes to steal things. You, you realize he actually turned Eve into a thief, amen? Oh, you know, just go ahead and have one of those pieces of fruit. God's just trying to keep them from you. Don't join him. A fourth thing. Corrupt speech. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good and necessary for edification, to build up, that it may impart grace. Notice what it imparts. When your speech is correct, it imparts grace to people who hear you speak. They hear about the grace of God through the speech of God's people. Or they get some other message, and it's not a good one. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You see, cursing, rotten speech, and the word that's used here, corrupt, means the same thing as rotten fruit. It doesn't mean it's necessarily untrue. doesn't mean that it's even necessarily wrong in, in the way uh, that you might perceive it, but it isn't bearing fruit in your life or anybody else's life. Don't do that because it grieves the Holy Spirit of God. We're supposed to have changed hearts, and changed hearts change our speech. Amen? Sometimes the body, you listen to people talk, and here in church, oh, praise the Lord, brother. Over at Lowe's, blank, blankety blank, 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 oh yeah, and Jesus loves you. <laughs> kind of sends a mixed message, doesn't it? You, you, you see, you've had a changed life. A changed heart, you should have a changed mouth. It's good diagnostics. You go, man, mm, probably shouldn't say that. And you know what? When you're a when you're a baby Christian, I'm sure there's extra grace because a lot of us, you know, we learned how to speak in in ways that we probably shouldn't speak, ever. There's extra grace, but for somebody's walk with the Lord for a while. You know, maybe your mouth ought to match your Savior. Maybe those jokes you tell you shouldn't tell anymore. Maybe those things that you repeat, you know, because corrupt speech, how about slander? How about gossip? That's corrupt. Bad fruit comes from those things. 
Paul himself an example of a changed life. Remember, when he got saved, he was breathing threats and speaking forth murder towards God's people. Doesn't, doesn't belong in our lives. You see, those things don't speak Jesus. And let me just be blunt with you. That old playground rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, that is an untruth. I can tell you as someone who's been in the ministry a very, very, very long time that most of the damaging things that I have to deal with in counseling, almost all of them have a verbal component. Somebody said something about or to someone else, and it has broken their spirit. Let your speech match your Savior. And then finally, the last thing, and I think it's one of those things that the body of Christ struggles with, And that's bitterness. Notice what it says as we wrap this up. Let all bitterness, and notice now it kind of ties together everything. Wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking. Be put away from you with malice. And be kind one to another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Notice the why. Even as God in Christ forgave you. You see what's being said here is, It is unbefitting someone who's received the grace of God to wander around in bitterness and unforgiveness so that someone else cannot see and also then have an example of what it means to receive God's forgiveness. You see, we have to be bearers of that same thing that we ourselves have received. Amen? As we walk around the world, you have been forgiven, you've been washed, you've been cleansed, You've been redeemed. You're going to go to heaven. Not because you're all that. Because the blood of Christ has cleansed you from all unrighteousness. And you have been forgiven based on the price being paid for your sin by Jesus. Forgiven. Not because you earned it. Not because you deserved it. You've been forgiven. So how can it be that the body of Christ carries around bitterness, which is simply unforgiveness in our hearts that bears fruit in a very negative way. You see, the source of bitterness almost always is unforgiveness. Almost always. Somebody did something, said something, acted in some way towards you, you harbor that and it sits there and festers. It rots. It destroys from the inside. The habitually bitter person is not telling people about the forgiveness and the love of God. The habitually bitter person is sending the exact opposite message. And so he says, don't be bitter. Look, the Lord forgives us, forgives you, has forgiven us. He washes us, cleans us up. Why Psalm 133 says, Behold, and how good it is, and how pleasant that the brethren dwell together in unity. You can't dwell in unity with people when you're harboring hatred in your heart towards them. You want to see this in action. When you get home, read Matthew chapter 18. You wonder why some people struggle with understanding the forgiveness of God. It's because they will not give what they have received. They cling to that stuff that's been done And yes, life hurts at times, amen? There are are unfair, unjust, evil things that happen to good people all day, every day. 
Life is not fair. But Christ is absolutely perfect. And He forgives us for all of our iniquity. And so we have to forgive others. Otherwise, we will have a bitter heart. And bitterness tells no one about the love of God. Three things to close with. Bitterness, which all these things kind of combine together in someone's heart, grieves the Holy Spirit. Absolutely grieves Jesus. He died for your stuff. The things that you're carrying around, that you're going through, they're real. But he's also the answer to them. So deadness causes you to carry those things around and hold them against others. It grieves Father God himself. He sent Jesus into the world that the world through him would be saved. Amen? Not wander around in all that hurt and pain and anguish and anger, that clamor, that evil speaking, the stuff that comes out of our heart. When you're bitter, those things come out. And so the Lord would say to us this morning, Run some diagnostics. Check and see where you're at. If you see these things, if you see anger welling up, if you see bitterness inside of you, if you're having a tough time telling the truth, if you can't keep your hands off of other people's things, then maybe it's time for a grace tune-up in your life. Maybe it's time that we honored the Lord with the whole of our existence, not just part of it. And next week as we move on to the, the real deal, we get to be imitators of Christ. The Lord's saying, look, I'm not mad at you. I love you. My grace is sufficient for you. But this is how you ought to look when you're one of my kids. This is how you ought to act. You shouldn't be dead. So walk in that life. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we simply now offer up all of these things. God, each one of us can probably think of times when we've been angry or maybe spoken harshly towards someone that we care about very deeply and so grateful for that forgiveness. Or maybe some are struggling this morning with bitterness. And as we close this service, as there's prayer team available. Maybe there are some here that just simply need to leave that bitterness here. Don't take it home. Pray that you would wash over us with your love. Lord, we thank you that these things are just to help us. Lord, do not to condemn us. You don't condemn. The enemy condemns. You want to build us up and cleanse us and make us white as wool. And so, Lord, we put our things into your loving hands and we ask where we have issues Lord where we need a tune up that you'd provide just the right service for us Lord we submit to your will to your hands your loving care pray that you would bless us anoint us instruct us cause us to walk in your ways all of the days of our lives we ask these things in the blessed name of Jesus Amen